You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I am Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. Welcome back, you guys. You be along with us for what I consider somewhat uncomfortable episode because uh, I'm not real fond of of the topic today. So today we're talking about fantastic fungi mm-hmm. or fungi. They say fungi, don't they? The fantastic fungi. Yes. Yeah. This is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I have too much enthusiasm for this topic, so we were well balanced. Good. Good. <laughs> It was done in 2019. It's an hour and 21 minutes long, directed by Louis Schwartzberg, which I looked him up and he did some other really good ones we might have to look into. Okay, I love that. Okay. One of them is Gratitude Revealed, and I thought that's right up our alley with like the happiness. Yeah. And um, like a whole moving arts, a lot of nature documentaries, which we don't have to cover, but he seems like a good cat, that one. Yeah. This one starts off with a little blurb that this is not medical advice. So I will keep in context with that and say, this is not medical advice, you guys. This is just things that people are exploring, things that people have explored. So, yeah, I say it's good to take the information and do more research on your own. Mm -hmm. Talk to your doctor or whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a good starting place. Yeah. And I do like the fact that they discuss this is knowledge that's been in different civilizations for a long, long time. And I always like when we revisit things that human beings have previously known. That's always kind of fun. This Western medicine. We have a real problem with, oh, it's old. Like, it's not any good. And then later we're like, oh, maybe there's something to that chicken noodle soup thing. You know? It's... Goddamn willow bark. Right? Sometimes there's a thing there. Right? It just makes me always think of scurvy and how we knew what caused scurvy and then we forgot what caused scurvy and then we knew what caused scurvy and then we forgot. And I'm like, does someone just write it down? A memo, a post-it, something on every ship. Right. Because that's right. It's just posted like right beside (laughs) your roster of sailors. Like Mm -hmm. also eat some lemons, whatever. Green things. Eat green things if you can. Yeah. That is a great example though, because you know part of our history we didn't have anything written down mm-hmm. but we did catch up at one point and we wrote some shit down so you thought maybe the <laughs> that would have made it somewhere no but maybe everybody couldn't read until much later so oh that's true yeah you don't think about that you, know? you forget mm-hmm. okay yeah okay sorry weird aside but yeah so let me start by saying fungi fungi whichever you want to call it is all over the place right It's among the oldest of organisms and sometimes among the youngest of organisms. But what you really need to understand is it's pervasive. It is everywhere. Every time you take a breath, you're probably breathing in some spores because they're teeny, teeny, tiny. And this is a good reproductive strategy for them. So Mm -hmm. keep that in mind. This documentary really focuses on a guy named Paul Stamets. He's a mycologist. So he's studying fungi, Mm -hmm. but he's an amateur immature, whatever. Listen, can we define that? I mean, it it annoys me that they call him an amateur mycologist when he's one of the most well-versed mycologists in the country, but just because he didn't go to college for it. Right. And 
I do like that they make some call outs for that because even they give him credit for like, you weren't really led down the path of learning in a way that a lot of people were people that are degreed. Mm -hmm. Right. So he is possibly more open to a lot of different things because he has not been habitualized to what, you know, scientific research tends to be. He's not looking at things from the same perspective as somebody else. Right. And I really dig that about him. Right. I did, and, and you'll hear that throughout amateur and it, they just mean non-degreed. Right. Because he is making money. So he's technically professional. I'm just saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He can no longer compete in the Olympics. That's true. He's, um, he's got to be real careful about that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be a fun Olympic sport? <laughs> Mushroom hunting? Uh, right? They'd have a lot of people going for that. But if you eat the wrong one, then you die. So, I mean, there's high stakes. That's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. So, let's talk about fungi and really what they are. They're the recyclers, right, of mm -hmm. nature. They're breaking stuff down. They're recycling nutrients. There is some association with rebirth and renewal because they're also associated with death and, you know, uh, what happens there. Mm -hmm. So... The mushrooms themselves are really the part that you see that's above ground. Everything else is underground. So a mushroom is like a fungi wiener, if you will. And every time <laughs> they started growing, I was like, yes, that's speeded mm -hmm. up um, <laughs> photography. Yeah. It kind of made me giggle a few times. So, yeah. Uh, there, Yeah, there were several times. I'm like, that's very phallic. Yeah. <laughs> so phallic. Mm. And I am 12. So... <laughs> What a lovely, uh, lovely representation for me. Mm -hmm. So since a lot of this is underground, there's a ton of communication within the ecosystem. So one of my very favorites is the slime mold, which is a great name, number one. And then it's just all over the place under the ground. You don't really see it, but mm -hmm. it exists. And I think that's really fun. Sometimes you can see them and they're gross and kind of awesome. Yeah, they showed a lot of videos of it and it was not cool, man. <laughs> It's interesting, but yeah, it's not appetizing, really. Mm -mm. There's a lady named Eugenia Bone, which is a great name. Yeah. She's a food journalist, and she's talking about fungus has its own kingdom, right? So there's 100 and, oh, sorry, 1.5 million species, and really about 20,000 of those make very diverse mushrooms. So there's mushrooms of bioluminescence. There's mushrooms that are purple. There's mushrooms that come in every shape and color. And there's these mushrooms that put out these like net looking things. And I don't know yeah. what that is, but mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to have to look that up because it costs them energy to have to do that. And I'm curious why they do it. So mm -hmm. just a little aside, a little peep into my brain. There are a lot of people that are afraid of fungus because it's associated with death. Also. Some can kill you. So maybe that might be part of it as well. Listen, and I want to point out right now, I am not afraid of fungus. It just, it kind of grosses me out. And and shows like The Last of Us are not helping that situation. <laughs> well, it's good. I mean, they're kind of playing on your fears, right? I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's probably a little bit of that, mm -hmm. which is interesting. And that's what makes for good entertainment. So. Sure. Also, Pedro Pascal is really having a moment right now. Good for him. My kid says it 50 times a day, <laughs> if, if not uh, more than that. So I, I've seen all the memes. Yep. So, and he is a cutie. I will say that. Then we talked to Michael Pollan, who is an author. And 
he talks a lot about you run into the omnivore's dilemma. Let's say you're lost in the woods and you come across a mushroom. Like, do you eat it because you're starving? Do you not? Because you're like, well, fuck, I don't know if I'll make it through this one. And he also points out that, you know, plants have a strategy where they need to be noticed, to be pollinated, to be, you know, the seeds are eaten or whatever, but fungi are not like that. They just kind of do their thing. They're in the background and maybe you see them and maybe you don't. So Mm -hmm. a little bit sneakier, if you will. I like how he said, mushrooms just don't give a shit. And I'm like, all right, maybe I can get behind mushrooms. Right. Right. They're just way cooler um, in the background. Yeah. Yeah. So. Eugenia talks that there's like this huge subculture of mycophiles and Mm -hmm. there, I mean, she talked about groups that, you know, they just go out, they go foraging, they find mushrooms together, they eat mushrooms together. And it looks like a really fun group. I don't, I don't mind going out and picking some mushrooms. The ones I pick Mm -hmm. might kill you. So I'm guessing hopefully, you know, which ones are best and which aren't. Because I'm not going to eat them in the end. I don't care. I'll pluck them all. (laughs) But she said she's starting, she started attending some of those foraging outings and it just kind of changed the way she saw everything and how she kind of communed with nature. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's interesting that mushrooms had that much of an effect. I liked, um, when I heard her talking about that, it kind of reminded me when we did the documentary about the indigenous foragers and how they were like teaching people to kind of do the same thing. So you're out, you're learning what is around you mm-hmm. gather yeah, like what they do and what they mean. And I thought oh, that was really cool. So I think I could get down with these microfiles. It's a, <laughs> I could totally get down and go. I think it'd be fun to go out yeah. and do it and learn about it. I, mm-hmm. <sighs> fucking Wilson. They're both looking at me. Like, I'm like, we just started, dude. We just started. It's a real comedy of errors today. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Anyway, I think I would really enjoy going out and foraging and learning, but I'm not going to eat them. So it's kind of like people who fish. I'm like, I'm sure it's lovely. I'll go sit on the boat and I'll read a book, but I'm not going to fish because I don't eat the fish. Fucking hell, Lewis. <laughs> I'm not going to fish because I don't eat the fish. And then it just seems like torture to the fish. And that's not cool. So I, I think it'd be fun to do, to forage. Well, you could learn and not partake. I think yeah. that's okay. Yeah. I, I think people are going to be like, not eating your portion. Let me in on that. Mm. You'll probably be very popular. Ooh, yeah, that's right. I'm just giving all the goodies out. Right. Love that. Let's talk a little bit about some yeasts and molds, which exist in this group, Mm. right? Yeah. I'm a beer drinker. I'm also a wine occasional drinker. And uh, I do really like the cheese and all of those. Love the cheese. Yeah, exactly. Some of these organisms to thank for that. Mm -hmm. What is this word I wrote down? (laughs) It's the first time I think that's happened to you. Saproprobes. Is that right? Oh, anyway. yeah, yeah. The the group of fungi that are decomposers, right? So yeah, sapropes. Yes. Yep. Sap, saprobes. S-A-P-R-O-B-E-S. Saprobes, I believe. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Riley, make us sound smart. They... <laughs> but also, those can be used to help deal with some pollution, mm-hmm. which we definitely think that, you know, think of recent events like the train derailment or from your cultural experience like the Exxon Valdez like when they dumped all that shit into the water (laughs) like the ocean 
this is a strategy that might be able to help us deal with some of these oil spill situations or, you know, chemical spill situations because these guys can break down anything that's natural materials. And even though these are refined products, they are still natural because they're hydrocarbons and um, the fungi can break down some of the hydrocarbons. Are you having power issues again? I think there's going to be a war outside of my house. There are helicopters. (laughs) It's, Oh shit. They know they know we record Sunday and so they're like let's just get all this work out of the way on Saturday is what they're doing. I appreciate that. Do you think it's like a civil war reenactment out there that would only <laughs> With be helicopters? Well, I know there's no helicopters in that, <laughs> but they're they're the best of the um, war reenactors. Reenactors in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. I'm like how much spare time do you have on your hands? Anyway. Oh, so much spare time. Paul talks about an experiment they did. There were four mm-hmm. piles. I love this. Yeah, I can totally get behind this kind of science. They have all four of these piles of like debris and stuff that are covered in like petroleum waste, like diesel and oil and stuff. One, you have one control pile. So they did nothing to it other than contaminate it with oils and stuff. They have one sure. treated with enzymes, one treated with bacteria, and one treated with mushroom spores. Mm-hmm. And then they let it go. And when they come back, Six weeks later, all the tarps were moved and the the control pile, the enzyme pile and the bacterial pile were all, he said, dead, dark and stinky. And I'm like, "Mm, that must have been lovely to whip that tarp off. (laughs) Right. But the mushroom pile was covered in hundreds of pounds of oyster mushrooms. I'm not sure what kind of mushroom that is. I'm not sure if you can eat it, but it was covered Mm -hmm. in mushrooms. And they had not only grown, but they had sporulated. And so the spores had attracted birds and the birds brought seeds and there were bugs and so it was this whole like little ecosystem it had going on and i'm like that's it's amazing right yeah and again they're the fungi are able to break carbon bonds mm-hmm. which is basically what you need to do to clean up that stuff mm-hmm. and i mean it it almost gives me goosebumps to think about it because it's been such a problem you know really for the environment for some time it's like mm-hmm we fuck around, we fuck stuff up and now we're not able to clean it. And, you know, maybe now we will be able to offer a relatively reasonable solution. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously small scale. If you have a huge oil leak in the ocean, that's going to take different tools and they have to like scale up and things like that. But it's interesting to see positive movement in that direction, if nothing else. Right. Can I, can we talk about Jay Harmon? Did you, yeah. did you write down his title? Biomimicry Inventor. He made that up, didn't he? He fucking made that up. There's no way. <laughs> I mean, they didn't really... I thought maybe they were going to get into his stuff a little bit more, but they never really did. No. So I kept having to... Like, I would stop because, you know, when you're recording, you have to, like, jot some stuff down. But I could never catch it, so I looked him up online, and I saw that he was an inventor, and I meant to, like, go back and look and see what he had invented, but I never got it, so. Yeah, maybe I'll go look. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm not saying he doesn't have some good insight and and knowledge of that, Mm -hmm. but I thought, that's a a made-up name. That's a made-up title. It's what that is. (laughs) Mm. Is he, like, a venture capitalist? Um, (laughs) Because that always sounds made up to me, too. Right. Uh, Maybe that's just from Wedding Crashers, but that's always what I think of. (laughs) Mycelium is the is the underneath the roots part, right? So the the mm-hmm. mushroom is the fruiting body. Think apple or something. 
mm-hmm. and then underneath you have miles and miles of this network of fibers that are I mean it's like a root system but it's so much more complex in a root system and he compared it to how our neural pathways work in the brain and how it connects everything mm-hmm. and because of the miles and miles and miles of mycelium this just they they are the most common species on earth because there's so many and they're really everywhere we just don't see it right and they're communicating, which was a real revelation. I'd never heard that before. So they're sending electrolytes. They're sending electric pulses. Mm-hmm. We're not saying that they're talking to one another, but there's something going on there, right? Like they might not be communicating like we would recognize it, but for them, you know, they're getting some messages around in a host of different ways. There's a lady named Suzanne Simard. She's a PhD at the University of British Columbia, and she's saying, again, what massive networks that these are and kind of talking about what the forests are doing and kind of that kind of thing. And it's just, it's really fascinating. So it is. She talked about how they can share. So like trees can share and plants can share nutrients via the mycelium. Mm -hmm. She also talked about the fact that we think of kin as very mammal kind of we as humans can recognize our family right and that's kind of considered an animal behavior we don't consider that in plants but the studies that they're doing have shown that plants can recognize their kin and that the mother trees will recognize their offspring via Mm -hmm. this oh what did she say uh or someone said mycorrhizal networks i had to look it up it's a symbiotic association between a fungus and a plant. So mm-hmm. between that, you know, relationship, they can, they can tell their offspring, they can send signals to their offspring. And they also said that if there's like an infestation of bugs, they can, the mother can like increase her competitiveness, which will then push the offspring to like, grow farther away so they are not affected by that right right and again this is all happening underground so the mycelium are separate but the trees are able to capitalize on some existing network and that's how they're they're doing this right and i'm like how are they how do they know how are they figuring this out they don't talk really about how those experiences work but i'm like that is the coolest thing i've ever heard and i love it it is the coolest thing ever i I would love to look into that research, but I was wondering because mm-hmm. one of my very dear friends, Dina, is vegan. And I thought if she mm-hmm. knew this, I don't know that she'd eat plants either because <laughs> she's vegan for moral reasons, right? She doesn't want to harm anything. And so, sure. And, and I so respect that. And I'm like, oh, she can't ever watch this because she just starve <laughs> then. I don't know. I think it'd be interesting to understand if plants feel pain like what we recognize as pain. Right. Because even in this documentary, there are some of the um, microfiles that go out in the forest and chop down trees. And then they kind of arrange them so they can grow shiitake mushrooms. Set up the right yeah. conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to grow mushrooms. So it's sort of like they seem to be okay with it. So maybe there's some more information there to be gathered. I don't know. Well, they probably eat me too. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're feeding uh, mushrooms to animals so we can really get a nice circle going. 
<laughs> oh, uh, this is terrible. Sorry. Is terrible. I'm sorry, everyone. So Paul's got an interesting story, right? Mm-hmm. He's a former logger. He and his brother, John, were visiting wherever Paul lived before. So they're out hiking. John is kind of filling Paul in on like mushrooms and this is cool and whatever. And they came around the corner. They see a really unique mushroom. That's the purple one I had mentioned earlier, which I'm like, that sounds really trippy and awesome. And then that really called to Paul and he just had an epiphany and went off from there. He seems like a bit of a guy that gets on a thing and then, you know, it's kind of an obsessive uh, personality type, right? He's just super into it all of a sudden, <laughs> which is great. It's fine. I didn't quite get that vibe, but I, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. So, and Paul talks about how his brother is one went to Yale, one went to Cornell. So it's a very academic family, but he had such a bad stutter when he was younger that he didn't feel comfortable expressing yeah. himself. So he never did that. Um, he says he went to six years of speech therapy, nothing helped. And I feel bad because he said he always kind of looked down because he didn't want to look anyone in the eye because if you look him in the eye, they don't want to talk and he didn't want to talk and how stressful that would be. But he said, by looking down, you find mushrooms, you find fossils, you mm-hmm. find things like that. So he was just a little geeky kid and I love him for that. <laughs> yeah. It made me wonder like what it was like for him as a kid. Cause you know, was this during the time when they used to make left-handed people right-handed? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know when they stopped education, doing that. Yeah. You know, was not always super inclusive at one point in time. Like they didn't really consider what you needed. You know what I'm saying? It was a little bit harsh. Yeah. Not that it's great now in all cases, but um, I like to think that we're evolving in, in some ways. Mm. You will conform. Mm-hmm. <sighs> right. Be a good worker, everyone. Mm. That's really what it's all about. <laughs> Anyway, so they they find um, fossilized mycelium in lava in South Africa, and it's 2.4 billion years old. So these suckers have been around forever. Also, some sediments in Brazil, they're a mushroom, like a, a really nice mushroom fossil mm-hmm. found um, in some sediment, and that's 113 million years old. And I'm always fascinated when they find, like, soft tissue fossils. yes. Like the conditions have to be so perfect for that to happen because normally fossils are out of bones. I mean, that's sort of <laughs> how it works. Right. So when you get the soft tissue ones, it's like it's an impression yeah. more than anything, right? So it was like encased somehow and then it decayed yes. inside and then left that. But things decay so fast that usually you don't get that impression. Right. So it's it's really special. Paul did say something that I was like, mm, he said... He talks about how we branched off from fungi, right? And that's, I'm, I'm fine with that, whatever. He said, and I quote, we chose the path of encirculating our nutrients in sort of a sack, the stomach. We chose? That was an active decision we made? <laughs> we made a decision board. We got on Pinterest. We looked at our options. We decided on the <laughs> <laughs> right. internal sack. Um, yeah. It's so much more flattering. It really is. Like everything else just died off except for these guys with the internal stomach. I mean, you know, evolution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the mycelium chose to remain underground and they externally digest their nutrients. So they have to stay hidden because of that external digestion, <laughs> but can't be seen. It is interesting because he talks a lot too about big extinction events. So of course the dinosaurs were killed off by a comet is pretty provincial thinking, right? Like I'm not going to really get into mm-hmm. theories there, but 
in those kinds of instances, I think mm-hmm. um, the fungi had a competitive advantage because, you know, they were underground or whatever. So they were able to continue to biodiversify despite the fact that there were a lot of other species experiencing some extinction from various things, right? There have been many extinction events. So yeah, kind of cool. He, yeah. He had mentioned that in the extinction events, you see that organisms that paired mm-hmm. with fungi survived. Okay. And again, all I could think of is the last of us. I'm like, is that our evolution? <laughs> We're pairing with the fungi, not by choice. Well, I mean, I think what we've learned is everything in evolution is a choice. And we, again, had that decision board out and it's like, you know, choose your own adventure. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Michael Pollan discusses that fungi are intelligent because they respond to their environment. They're looking for food. They're defending themselves. They're solving problems. And I'm like, if they're solving problems, like a toilet that's been running for some time and I've been there all the time with my, you know, <laughs> screwdriver trying to just tweak it just enough. But if they could come and solve that problem, that'd be really nice. So I just, I don't know that I feel more comfortable knowing <laughs> that mushrooms are somewhat sentient or whatever. It doesn't make me feel more comfortable. It is an it. interesting thought, right? It makes me somewhat comfortable to think that there are other intelligent beings. It, I think sometimes we could use more of that. At the same time, it's kind of creepy. So, yeah, yeah. it is. It is kind of creepy. They also talk about how they can, in theory, live forever. They, As long as they can find food, they can live forever. The oldest and largest organism on the earth is fungi living on top of a mountain in Oregon. It is thousands of acres and thousands of years old. Can you imagine? I really cannot. Now I want to go to Oregon. For many reasons, right? But um, do you have to sacrifice something? Do you have to like throw an apple at it or something like that? So <laughs> Just don't take your horse up there. I've seen never ending story. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just read where I put fungi wieners and it makes me laugh. So good times. Good times for me. Suzanne talks about CO2 as a greenhouse gas, probably the biggest of the greenhouse gases that we're always, you know, talking about. The most of the popular ones, yeah. Right. So plants put 70% of the carbon that they absorb that's being stored underground in the cell walls of the fungi. And that's really good for soil and carbon stability. And that's why we should leave all the forests alone because they do and they thing. I mean, that's one of many reasons we should leave the forest alone. But yeah, the, they said the fungi help stabilize the carbon in the soil where it can stay for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know we have a lot of science going into how could we get carbon dioxide out of the environment? And well, I mean, not all of it, obviously, we would die. But mm-hmm. yeah, look, it's already being done. We just need to harvest that knowledge, use it, I guess. Isn't it elegant, though, that what we need is their byproduct and what they need is our byproduct? That's kind of cool. I mean, it's how it's supposed to work, right? Circle of life. Oh, John sang about it. You knew. <laughs> there you go. I love that. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about Paul. And um, he reads a book called Altered State of Consciousness. This is by a guy named Andy Wheel. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's really funny because he was raised as a Christian and he sees some commonality with expanding consciousness. I think they called it something else. If you're Christian, I I don't think anybody's talking about expanding consciousness, but cool that you made that, you know, connection. You drew Mm -hmm. that line. Love Mm -hmm. it. My favorite thing is that he said he shared this book with a friend of his and the friend's dad found it and freaked out and like burned it. Burned the book. 
I know. God, no, sir. Yeah. But it left such an impression on him because he wasn't like, it's not like he called my parents. It's not like this guy, you know, just got rid of it. He burned it. Like it was so dangerous that he had to burn it. And I'm like, he reacted like every kid would. And it's like, what are that, that I need to know more about it. And just kind of drew him in even more. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes, this is what happens when you bogart the knowledge people, please don't do that. Right. Every time they talk about banning books, I think you're pushing people that had never heard of these books now recognize them. (laughs) And now everyone's going to go read them. You are publicizing it for them. Maybe that's their whole point. Maybe they're just, you know, in cahoots with the authors and they're really trying to push the money that way. I don't know. I mean, again, I call you back to when we were growing up and it's Tipper Gore and it's parental advisory (laughs) stickers. And, you know, I mean, I had to have We were like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) absolutely correct. (laughs) (sighs) I'm like two live crew. Thank you much. I do Mm -hmm. need to know more about it. Mm -hmm. Mm. Until you listen to it. You're like, maybe I don't need to know that much about it. You're like, all right. I heard it. It's fine. (laughs) Whatever. Thanks, Wilson. Can I also talk about Dennis McKenna, PhD? Mm-hmm. He's an ethnopharmacologist. Now, it's another one I had to look up because I don't know any of these words. That's the interdisciplinary scientific exploration of traditionally employed indigenous drugs and biologically active ingredients. That's a lot to say that he talks to some people who've been around for a minute and have passed down traditional knowledge and is using that for medicinal purposes, I believe. Right. And I think it's like... Google before there was Google, right? To talk to people who might know some stuff and be like, hey, what wisdom can you share with those dumbasses of us in the Western world that don't pay attention to anything? Dumb white so, people. Help uh, us. Right. But him and his brother were the first to propose what they call the stoned ape hypothesis. So they noticed that over a period of about 2 million years, which is actually pretty short in evolution time frame. Mm-hmm that the human brain grew like three times, like that's a really fast evolution. And so they were curious Mm -hmm. as to what possibly could have caused that or helped that. And they realized that as our ancestors were tracking animals for hunting, the most prominent mushroom would have been a psychedelic mushroom found in animal dung. And so they might've eaten that and then had a lovely trip, a psychedelic trip. Mm Mm-hmm. And which could have expanded their consciousness, could have expanded their relationship with nature. And I like how they explained it. But he also said, I'm not saying this caused this. I'm not saying they ate Mm -hmm. mushrooms and their brains grew. What I'm saying is it could have helped push them in that direction. It could have been a helper in this case, which is interesting. Right. It provided an evolutionary advantage. Right. Right. And so think the graphics that they show in the documentary during this time are fossil records, right, of expanding brain pans or whatever you want to call it. So the skull shape is changing. So that's how they knew that the brains were growing because the skull would have had to change to accommodate mm-hmm. the big fat brain. So I assume it's only males that had that, how they could tell from the skull. I don't know. Cause the girls still have tiny, tiny brain. We talk about <laughs> it all the time. <laughs> I, we do. I'm wondering if maybe that's why I have so many migraines is because my brain is expanding and I need a yeah. new skull. Maybe and it's bumping up against your skull. Mm. Mm. We'll find out, won't we? It's possible. (laughs) It is really funny to think about our ancestors walking around, right? They're hunting and they're like, I don't know, I'm hungry. Here's some poop and here's a mushroom. I think I'm just going to mow down on that. So, 
That's probably why I would have been extinct. <laughs> I'd be like, don't put that in your mouth. That's gross. Right. Oh, I'm going to wash that off first. Although probably <laughs> mushrooms. I think that's how they're farmed in some, yes. in some ways. But they talk about synesthesia, which is what's caused by the magic mushrooms. And it's like, they give some really trippy explanations. Like hearing. Oh, shit. Colors. I wrote it down. Can hearing hear colors, colors, seeing music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. But I do love the fact that they were saying, like, also language is synesthesia. So these are just sounds that we're making. They don't really mean anything, but we assign a meaning to it mm-hmm. and then we can communicate. So kind of fun. Like, yeah. yeah, that was really neat when he said that. It's interesting for me to hear people talk about psychedelics in this manner where it's all like this religious experience and it's all very much a, you know, changing my life. And, you know, I did a lot of psychedelics when I was younger, a lot of LSD and mushrooms. And I can tell you that I don't think it was a religious experience. It was very fun and very entertaining. I didn't see anything that wasn't there. You see distortions of things that are already there mm-hmm. and you, yeah, you can kind of hear things that maybe you wouldn't have heard before, see things you wouldn't have seen before, but it's not like, Oh, look, there's a dragon. It's not like the pamphlets they would have put out back in the sixties or seventies, but <laughs> it, yeah, we will have to, at some point cover the other documentary about uh, psychedelics, which is a little bit more on the fun side of what psychedelics do. Yeah. Right. So Let's let's get into it a little bit about um, our friend Paul. Mm-hmm. So we also, I mean, we know from the book ordeal that he's interested in altering consciousness, right? I think that there's some discussion on psilocybin mushrooms that he's not able to get his grips on, but somehow he finds a, a way to do it. And he's got something in his grasp. He talks about, there's not like there's directions on this. Like he didn't know how much to take. So he just did all all of it. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, in so my head, much. it's like a quart size Ziploc bag full of mushrooms. Like, I don't know. He doesn't a, really say. Yeah. He kind of showed the size <laughs> of the bag. It would have been a lot. It would have been a lot. He even said it's about 10 times the amount you need to take. Also, they taste horrible. And he just sat there and <laughs> ate them all. Oh, you got to want it. The... You got to want it, Aaron. I would have thrown it up. Mm-mm. So, he takes the mushrooms, climbs a tree. There's a storm. I don't recommend. No, not even a little bit. So he's saying that he's seeing like geometric shapes. And what they're showing to you on the screen is a kaleidoscope of all kinds of shit going on. And, you know, he's talking about it. And the more he talks about it, the more my anxiety goes up because it doesn't sound relaxing and like... (laughs) Uh, spiritual it sounds like a nightmare and i'm up in a tree right. during a storm right yeah the idea of climbing a tree when you're tripping just sounds like the worst fucking idea ever because you would you would just be like well i could totally just climb back down and you could and you would fall and break every bone in your body i don't know it just sounds horrible right Mm-mm. so i guess this is left to the young I, again i'm not mm-hmm. recommending this but um yeah so he he says that he's up in this tree. The storm is bad. He's like hunched around the tree as it's a kind of the only thing he can ground himself to. And he's like, well, I got to focus on something. So I'm going to tell myself to not stutter. I will not stutter. I will not stutter. And he repeats it forever, I guess. 
It was probably only three times, but when you're tripping, you're like, well, that was an hour. (laughs) So he actually, when all this resolved, he went home, he fell asleep, he got up, he hadn't really talked to anybody. So, you know, he thought everything was as it was. Mm -hmm. And he happens to run into his crush and she spoke to him and he looked her right in the eyeballs And he's like, hey, girl, or whatever, like no stuttering. (laughs) So he was able to cure himself with Mm -hmm. one giant trip. So I'm sure they have come a long way in speech therapy, guys. I wouldn't (laughs) recommend this as a way to do that, especially not an entire bag like that. (laughs) Seems excessive. Right. So a bit anecdotal, perhaps, but um, Mm. it really made a difference to him. And, you know, that's great. Nothing wrong with it. Absolutely. There's a lot of anecdotal and actual scientific evidence behind some of these things. So Mm -hmm. Paul now owns fungi perfecti in Olympia, Washington. I thought it was interesting because he had talked about how they don't, they can't really talk in the lab because your mouth spreads bacteria. And if they're growing Mm. the fungi, they don't want the bacteria to grow. And I'm like, ah, you should wear masks when that help that. I don't know. This is pre-COVID, so... He's the expert. Also, he's driving around listening to the loudest I have ever heard <laughs> in my life. And I'm like, he's like, oh, we love this in the lab. And I'm like, do you? Yeah. I'm just like, are there also like a lot of glow sticks and shit like that? Because mm. that's I mean, the vibe I'm getting off of it. When you hire the U's, this is what you get. <laughs> Skrillex. Oh, my god. And he has 100 employees. So there could be a lot of youths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. He has mm-hmm. a mail order business that he started when, you know, well before the interwebs and it's grown. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, with the interwebs, they can do a lot more. But yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Think he said cool. that they use it to support their lab wholesale. And I'm like, what? I never did get any clarity on what that means. So I wonder if they sell two schools in that. I mean, it could be. So Paul also mentions that he happened to come into some money because he holds some patents. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the things that he did with that windfall is they went to Canada and they bought some property and they planted a bunch of trees, like 30,000 some, and Mm -hmm. some were planted with fungi attached to the roots. So they have a bit of a symbiotic relationship and then some were planted with, which is part of every good experiment. Um, They don't lay out, all the conditions quite like they did with the other experiment that he talked about. But in the nine year study, they're keeping a nice Excel spreadsheet and (laughs) trying to understand how they are just like, look, this is off. This is off brand for you guys. And we just can't handle it. (laughs) Um, That's all right. I am listening to the experiment. Sorry. That's fine. It's not my favorite part of this, but I think it's interesting that, he does seem to be taking a lot of advantage of whatever he can to try out new and different things, which I do appreciate about our friend, Paul. He's not relegated to typical scientific experiments. He's like, let's just throw some stuff together see what happens. Well, also he's not limited by trying to get grant funding or trying to get tenure or Jesus fucking Christ. Stop the shit. (laughs) Does anyone want to slightly use dogs? (laughs) One's got two brand new back knees. I'm just saying. <laughs> Pretty good home. Oh. Uh, and I'll send Lewis with this 
Thunder shirt. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, yes, he is not limited by academic grants or tenure, any of the traditional things that you would have to do in a laboratory to move forward, right? To get permission, mm-hmm. he could just do these experiments. So some of the things he had he has done and the patents he had got are actually pretty fucking cool. Um, he's, he's using fungi as an insecticide. And mm-hmm. he had talked about how, okay, he got them on entomopathogenic fungi. Again, I had to yes. look it up. They're fungi that infect and kill insects. Mm-hmm. In this case, he started with termites. So the termites, if they, I mean, they recognize the fungi and they kind of go around it and they get away from it. But if one mm-hmm. happens to step in it and they have any on them, any spores on them, the guards won't let them back into the nest. They will take this termite that is contaminated away from the nest, far away, and they will behead him and then kill themselves in sacrifice so that those spores don't make it back to the nest. It's extremely right. brutal. But Paul found a biological switch that delayed sporulation. Sporulation, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know what it is. I can't say the word. I apologize. <laughs> but then the insects were not repelled by it. So they would walk right through it. And it, you know, they kind of have an am- animation where it's all kind of covering their bodies and they walk right into the nest and mm-hmm. give it to the queen. And then she gives it to everybody else. And then the whole nest dies. Right. And then once they spore, sporulation happens, then that will prevent other termites from coming to your house because now it's going to avoid that area. Right. So this is a natural solution. Yeah. Um, Instead of, you know, spraying stuff all over um, that's going to affect your animals, it might affect plants, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, So people are really conscious about, well, people are becoming more conscious about what you're spraying all over the place. So Mm -hmm. this is a good option to remove some of that really... Oh, there's a word I'm looking for. Exposure. That's it. Yeah. And toxicity, but also yeah. the fun thing is, yeah, exactly. So started with termites, but there might be some applications for flies or mosquitoes or whatever else. And I thought bed bugs. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. They were working on bed bugs and they said everyone that they've tried so far, they've had success with. And I'm like, that's fucking amazing. That was actually really, really cool to see and learn about. Yeah. I thought that was neat. Yeah, I love that. Um, the animation is kind of fun too. You're right. <laughs> it's just like those termites, man. That's right. a rough life for reals. So at this point, we go back to Eugenia, and she's saying mushrooms are used somewhat in Western medicine. Penicillin. Now, again, I think what she means is fungus because we don't, you know, the mushroom is a very specific thing. Then they talk a lot about Alexander Fleming and the discovery of penicillin may have helped win World War II because we had, you know, the ability to treat wounds and stuff in a way that, you know, the opposing forces did not, right? So Germany and Japan and those guys did not have the same options. So it could have made enough of a difference to turn the tide of the war. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But also it's recognized the, what we've kind of discussed before, we tend to treat a disease here um, with Western medicine. We won't really promote anything that might help your immunity become stronger so you don't get sick in the first place. We're very focused on the problem and not the whole of you. So 
Um, they're saying that other cultures don't necessarily worry about that kind of stuff. Like, so you might take some mushrooms that support your immunity so you don't get sick in the first place. Kind of brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Let's be preventive, not just reactive. hundred percent. Um, they do talk about how some medicinal mushrooms work. Uh, the fungus will produce kind of enzymes in order to fight off competition for food. And they talk about the one that makes penicillin produces an active ingredient to kill bacteria that are competition to them. So mm -hmm. they produce this enzyme that we can, or I don't think it's an enzyme at that point. They produce the active ingredient, whatever it is that then we take. And it also fights bacteria because it's still considering bacteria, the competition. Right. Which I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I mean, that seems like a bit of a unbalanced relationship if we take antibiotics we're no longer dying as much and giving them as much food i don't know but uh, <laughs> still taking advantage of them if you will possibly mm. they talk about some specific mushrooms there's i guess a lion's mane mm -hmm. mushroom it's a globular mushroom so i think it looks a little bit different than you know the ones on the stalks that we're used to seeing yeah they showed an animation of it it really creeped me out yeah but there's some evidence that says that this helps your nerves grow back which is kind of crazy right yeah it is kind of crazy but they talked about it could be a possible treatment for alzheimer's or a preventive mm -hmm. which is interesting they talked about a study at the university of florida where they have mice were trained to be a conditioned fear response right so if they heard mm -hmm. a sound they knew that pain was coming and so then if they heard the sound they would just cower in fear I don't think Pavlov meant that when he started his research, but you know, he's gone. We can't ask when the mice were treated with psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, they dissociated that link. So now they could hear the sound without having the fear of the pain. And right. so, and they also saw an increase in neurogenesis. So new neural pathways were forming. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. The brain is an amazing thing. And it's, it's interesting to see what support can help with natural processes that we are capable of. We just don't know about. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so they talk about the Mayans and how they love mushrooms. There were a lot of, again, very phallic statues, although they were mushroom statues, <laughs> but they look phallic to our Western culture. Mm -hmm. They had, he said, this cat, uh, Gordon Wasson, Coined the term myco mycophilia and then microphobia as a fear of mushrooms. So love mycophilia, fear mm -hmm. microphobia. Again, I do not have a fear, just a dislike. But I thought, I think it's pretty well known. I don't know. This is back in like the 50s. When did things like hydrophobic and hydrophilic come in? Those, those, those you know, have been around for a while, but whatever. Yeah. Sure, this guy did it. Anyway. They talked about how the English have a fear of mushrooms. Rightly so, I think. Because you mm -hmm. never know. You never know. If you take one, you could die. You could live. You could trip. You don't know. But he was invited to participate in a ceremony by a curandera. I probably pronounced that wrong. And I apologize. And her name was Maria Sabina in 1955. So it's a proper, mm -hmm. I'm going to guess, religious kind of experience. Much like people do with ayahuasca still today, I think. He took the mushrooms. He had a psychedelic experience. He then published his research in Life magazine in 1957, which seems like maybe not the most scientific of journals. But but this was much more publicized around, right? So Life magazine mm -hmm. is everywhere. And so now you have a field guide 
to psilocybin mushrooms for everybody who picks up that magazine. Right. So well done, sir. You brought it to the new world. Yeah. And they talked about there had been some promising studies treating alcoholism Mm -hmm. and this might help people get over that, um, which is, I've heard really bad to try to kick it if you're an alcoholic. So I'm sure that anything that helps with that is welcome as long as there's like, you know, minimal side effects and whatnot. So, um, but it was promising, right? So that's good. Mm-hmm. And then we get into the kids on the psychedelics in the sixties, right? So there's a cat named Timothy Leary. Oh, stop it right now. You don't, you don't know so? who, you don't know who no. Timothy Leary is. I do, but it was just funny <laughs> to say it. More. I was like, there's a guy we know, you know, this guy. <laughs> I know you're a little bit innocent, but no. A little bit look. sweet and very yeah. like, no. But, you know, part of his point is, like, if you're on psychedelics, you're not going to want to fight wars for people. Like, it's very mm-hmm. counterculture, right? And there was a big fear of, you know, the culture moving forward in such a way that they would be less controlled and whatnot. And whatnot. So, interesting mm-hmm. times. And it really put the quash on a lot of the research for psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah. And other drugs fucking dick nixon is all like that timothy leary he's like enemy number one and also like the biggest problem in our country is drugs and i'm like is that though i mean there's a lot of racial shit that you should probably maybe address first (laughs) you know but we know that like daycare and stuff like that is just too damn expensive so too expensive get them kids off the drugs though (laughs) there was a lot of irrational and anti-scientific climate that was fueled by the government and pamphlets i love the ones that they're like listen one bad trip and you're insane forever and i'm like i know a lot of people who have had really bad trips and they're fine they're fine i'm not condoning doing drugs guys i'm just saying that's dramatic do you find though i don't know this was kind of eye-opening for me to understand that a lot of this movement grew out of the anti-scientific attitude and the book burning and the you know i just feels very parallel to what we're dealing with i was gonna say it sounds familiar Mm -hmm. doesn't it yeah it really Mm. does it really does yeah so they stopped research using psychedelics in 1970 a war was officially declared on drugs i'm pretty sure we've lost that at this point and i think one of the other problems is that the research that had been done was almost erased like they weren't allowed to study it they weren't allowed to teach it so not only were Mm -hmm. you not allowed to continue to research you couldn't even use the data that had already been collected which is horrific yeah, I hate that we've lost knowledge or we're actively squashing it. Yes, that's mm. very hard to understand uh, why we would choose to go against reasonable progress. Right. Well, if it had any kind of positive outcomes, even mm-hmm. even at a very early stage in experimentation, if the outcomes look positive, they're going to continue to research or want to continue to research. Think of Think mm-hmm. of articles where they're like, listen, bleach kills cancer. Well, of course it kills cancer in a Petri dish. It kills you if you drink it. But Mm -hmm. someone at one point in time did it and noticed it. And then maybe they would take that research further and say, well, why is it killing it? Maybe we can extrapolate something out and do something with it. I don't know. Right. But that was not like a study someone did at a clinical level. (laughs) But you're still going to see a huge three-page article about it, which is stupid. So people take (laughs) the smallest bit of news and just push it. So I understand why they squashed it. I don't agree with it, but I understand why they did it. Yeah. In 1999, some older clinicians got together. 
Um, looks like it was California, probably around the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, where the hip cats live. Right. And they designed a study for treating PTSD with psilocybin. So this is on paper. This is what would we do if we could do whatever we wanted mm-hmm. with psilocybin? How would we design this experiment? They wrote it up. They sent it to the FDA and it was approved. And so they were able to reactivate psychedelic research. Yeah. And this is where we meet Tony Head. Yeah. I think if I were him, I'd go by Anthony, but sure. Still. It's not the best. (laughs) (laughs) He was diagnosed with late stage prostate cancer. It was so bad that doctors literally gave him like no chance of survival. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His oncologist gave him a pamphlet, in this case, a good one, about the psychedelic study that was um, being done at Johns Hopkins. Hopkins. Oh, shit. I messed it up, too. (laughs) Don't listen to me. Riley, cut that out. Cut all this out. But it's to help with the anxiety of dying. And so the first research I ever saw about psychedelics with mental health, that was what I saw, is using psychedelics to help people with late stage terminal cancer get over that anxiety of dying. Mm-hmm. And so he was accepted into the study. He went through it. I don't think they ever tell us what the outcome of his, like he's, he did this documentary i don't know when he was diagnosed or where he is now right but he did talk about the treatment and how it made him feel more comfortable with living because he was no longer afraid of dying so that wasn't mm-hmm. preoccupying everything in his being anymore he could go on with living the rest of his life without mm-hmm. worrying about that which yeah. is incredible right and the clinicians they they talked to some of the clinicians and they're talking mm-hmm. about people are like, these are among the most profound experiences among the most personal things that people have ever dealt with sort of on par with birth of children or death of a loved one. Um, just Mm -hmm. the, the things that change you, but they're powerful feelings, they're positive moods, kind of love and oneness with all of the things. Right. So it Mm -hmm. sounds like really woo, but I think, it's indescribable. So they're trying to get close, but -hmm. it doesn't make sense unless you've done it. And I think that that's an interesting viewpoint or perspective. Right. And it is completely guided, right? They show you, you know, they give him in this case, Tony, the medicine, he takes it, he lays down, he's in a comfortable environment. I'm sure they have some lovely spa music going. Mm -hmm. He has an eye mask on, he has headphones on. He also has you know, a woman, a clinician, Mary Cosimano was the one that we spoke to and she's holding his hand. She's talking him through it. There are times where it looks like he's upset and he's crying. And so she's talking to him, helping him and trying to make sure they understand that they're safe. No matter what they're Mm -hmm. experiencing, they're still safe. They're going to be okay because it can be overwhelming and it can cause anxiety. And if you've never done it before, I think after the first time, it'd probably be a little bit easier. Mm Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's scary. And so having someone to guide you through it the correct way, I think, would be very important. Don't just go take some shrooms and hang out at your house in the basement and watch Fantasia. (laughs) I don't think it's going to have the same effect. Yeah. Again, they just show all those kaleidoscope things. And I'm like, (laughs) I can tell you I've never seen that. Right. I mean, I think it's. It's a good visual to kind of yes. try to put the the watcher in the position of somebody who is experiencing some of these like otherworldly right. or indescribable moments. But that's like 
So I take that mask off and I just have kaleidoscope eyes. Like that would be scary as shit. So <laughs> yes, no, like Lucy, mm-hmm. the Beatles sang about it. That was the problem. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> but there's also a palliative doctor in here and he talks about how psilocybin kind of recalibrates how people see death. So it enables them to be able to manage it and experience it without being afraid of it, which I think is a huge, mm-hmm. huge thing. And what a kindness too, really. Cause I think, um, you know, Western culture, we don't really discuss death as being part of life. Mm-hmm. It's very final and, and scary, you know, so right. a little recalibration might not be the worst. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm telling you, if I get this MRI on Monday and there's a mass in my brain, we're getting shrooms. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt I'll be able to get the MRI, so I don't really worry about it. But he, uh, they also talk about how this kind of medicine, using this for PTSD, using it for anxiety or depression, these things that they have been studying it for and has shown positive results. The problem is, is it shows positive results with one or two treatments. So that's not very marketable for drug manufacturers to do research and actually sell it which is completely part of our culture as well. (laughs) Yay, capitalism. Right. It's difficult because if it's effective for people, you know, they talk a lot about these treatments should be respected. Um, This is, you know, Mm -hmm. good, but it has to be well-intended. You know what I mean? Like it does not a cure-all. It's not snake oil. It's um, so it's a little bit of a balance. Like, Yes, for the right people, for the right purposes, it can be extremely effective. Mm-hmm. But this might not be as widespread because, again, there's not a lot of profit that's going to go in this unless you happen to be a mushroom dealer. I don't know. Do <laughs> <So. laughs> you got a farm somewhere? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing. They always talk about it being such a mystical experience throughout this whole thing and treat it with reverence. And I'm like, yes, kids, we did not. We just ate that shit and went for it. Balls to the wall. So do you wonder, though, if it's medicinal grade, that it's different than maybe what was available back in the day? I don't know if that's a a reasonable thing. I would think it'd be cleaner. Right. So the novelty of mushrooms in general versus, say, LSD is it is a much cleaner experience. You don't have the it's really hard to explain how LSD makes you feel. It's longer. You feel really gross when you're done, like dirty. Like you literally feel like you've accumulated oh. a pound of dirt on your skin. That's weird. It is okay. really weird. So you, I always took a shower as soon as I was done. <laughs> and then it's just, mushrooms were cleaner. It was more enjoyable. It was never, um, it never overstayed. It's welcome. It was never like, God, I okay. wish it was done, which LSD you do. But I would think it would be even more so. with It's more controlled, right? You know exactly how much you're getting in a pill. You, you know exactly what's in it versus I'm just shoving mushrooms in my gob hole. Who knows? Right. Have, you know? <laughs> the fact that any of them were magic mushrooms is pretty impressive, all things considered. I didn't know. Yeah, I would much prefer knowing what I was taking and what I would need to take for different experiences, right? Instead of like one pill will give you just kind of a calm, two pills will take you out of this world. I don't know, whatever the situation may be. I I realize now that as, as someone with a lot of anxiety, I know it's supposed to help anxiety, but I don't think it would. I think it would give me more anxiety because I would talk myself into having anxiety. (laughs) Why am I hearing Grace Slick in my head? One to make you bigger (laughs) and whatever. (laughs) White Rabbit. That's one of my favorite songs. (laughs) 
It's so good. I'm gonna have to listen to that later. But you're talking about like, oh my god, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Paul is he does a TED talk, so I think that's probably available if you are interested in going and listening a little mm-hmm. bit more to what he has to say. But he does discuss that his mother called him up one day and was discussing that she had breast cancer and seemed to be pretty bad stage four. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's an older lady. She's I think in her eighties, 84 at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the time that she's diagnosed. So I think her treatment options are limited because she's an advanced age and the doctors didn't always feel really comfortable about some of those things, but Mm -hmm. somebody did give her some information about some trials that were going on with different kinds of mushrooms. And she said, well, that works out well for me because my son happens to be an expert. My dealer. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is turkey tail mushrooms. And the idea is that it helps chemotherapy work better. It supports you and something. So there's something going on. They didn't exactly get into the nitty gritty, but turkey tails good and his mother actually survived mm-hmm. her you know really bad diagnosis so pretty powerful right a couple of things i really liked is one that he had talked about she was put on a couple of drugs i assume chemotherapy drugs and he was like great drugs he was not like poo poo in the drugs he was like right we were thankful she was able to take these and then she was also taking eight capsules of turkey tail mushrooms a day as well in conjunction with it to help And like you said, I'm not sure if it is helping the actual chemotherapy agent do its job or helping you stay healthy so it can do its job without you being so sick and, you know, killing you in the process. I'm not sure which, but either way. Right. Right. Seems to be helpful. So chemotherapy is getting better all the time, right? So it's more Mm -hmm. targeted. It's less toxic, um, all that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's somewhere in the middle, which is good. I mean, that's important. But yeah, I also like the fact that he wasn't saying that this is in substitution for right. conventional treatment. <laughs> this is a supportive mechanism mm-hmm. um, that might have some applications that were more widespread. And I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Paul and his enthusiasm really encourages a lot of other people to join. Like people have bought his books and like, they're like, I read this book and I had to get out and find mushrooms or I saw his Ted talk and I had to get out and do this. And so they talked to a bunch of um, some of them, younger people and just other amateur mycologists who are like, he got me into this. His enthusiasm Mm -hmm. for it really is um, what I think attracts other people to this. And then they find their own love for it. And it was so fun to watch other people then get more people involved in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the guys that talks about uh, Paul in this, this part, his name is art. Good times. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. You are. I know he knows all about the shrooms. I'm just saying, (laughs) but um, yeah, I like the fact that this is turning people on, right. This is exciting. The youths to get involved mm-hmm. in this. Um, cause I think a lot of people are searching for like how to be more connected and how to feel like you can take action and mm-hmm. do good things that are beneficial everywhere. It's not hurting anybody. And I think that's really what this subculture, I mean, I'm not part of it, so I don't know for sure, but like, that's what they may be doing. I don't know, but how fun is that? So it is fun. And I, I love the fact that 
not all sciences can really have a lot of amateur scientists, right? So mm-hmm. astrology, nope, that's not a science. Astronomy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can get a telescope and look at the stars and they can learn about mm-hmm. it, right? This yeah. kind of thing, mushrooms and things. Now, amateur chemists are just known as meth dealers, so that doesn't work as well. We don't we don't do There's that. There's some really creative meth makers though. I mean like backpacks, <laughs> mopeds, thank you very much. So yes, I don't right. recommend. <laughs> so not all the sciences are conducive to this, but in mm-hmm. this case it really is. And I love that people are getting out there and learning and realizing you don't have to go to school for this. You can really mm-hmm. get out there and learn and enjoy it and become part of this community without without giving money to the government or universities or anyone else. Right. It seems like a teaching culture and that mm-hmm. is really neat. They they have people that are talking about using fungus to help the bees. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's that kind of offset of, you know, it helps the bees by offsetting some viral load. Mm-hmm. I didn't know necessarily that it was a virus that was killing all the bees. I hadn't done any research. All I knew was like, it was very scary because they're all dying off. So again, another natural answer to a giant problem. So I was really happy to hear about that. But there's Mm -hmm. also a way that you can use mushrooms and fungus to maybe make more sustainable packaging or you can use it. Yeah. For battery components. And I'm like, what? But It's um, really quite amazing. And I think that this is just the surface because there are so many different varieties and there's so much of it that it really could be quite useful um, if we continue to explore. So this was a really fun documentary for me and I love it so much. I cried. It was crazy. So many feelings. (laughs) And that was without the trip. Right, right. It's amazing. I was stone sober (laughs) the whole time. I I did enjoy it. There was a lot of science Mm -hmm there which I enjoyed I had to look a lot of stuff up which I'm fine with because that's part of my life I loved everyone's enthusiasm everyone who Mm -hmm. talks about mushrooms are just like fucking diehard mushroom people it is so funny and I love it and it makes me want to go forage for mushrooms even though I don't even like them Mm -hmm. but you know we can be friends I just we listen I'd probably be a better friend than you because I'm not eating them I'm just saying. That's what I'm saying. Everyone would love you because, like, you're a hand in your basket to other people. (laughs) Right? But I totally also want to look up his company to see Mm -hmm. what kind of mushrooms you got for the sleeping, sir, because my brain needs to sleep. Yeah. Things like that. That's really fun. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they do, at the very, very end, tell you that if you're interested in joining the movement... Um, you can go to fantasticfungi.com and -hmm. learn some more. So if you're interested in, maybe they have connections. I wish I looked at it, but I like to think that they're going to hook you up with a local group um, that would be adorable. So, But they'll just send you a starter mushroom kit. (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? So I think I need to get a big hat and a basket so I can go mushroom picking because that's, it feels next door to cottage core to me. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. I have a big hat and I'm pretty sure I have a basket somewhere. So let's go. I need some wellies. <laughs> wellies or no. There you probably, go. That's probably not really good for foraging. You probably want some hiking boots, right? Better support. I think it depends on um, how mushy it is out there. So either way, any excuse to buy new shoes. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I agree. 100%. Okay. So I have a vote today for honorary Aaron. Do you want to, do you have somebody for honorary? You can go first. Okay. 
So I have chosen Suzanne, who is the lady that talks about the interconnectedness of all the forests and the, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I just thought it's such an interesting combination of the woo, because it's very much like everybody is, you know, we're all interconnected (laughs) and the forest and all that kind of stuff. But also she's, you know, a researcher and I just thought she was a neat lady and I can really identify with being a little bit in both worlds. So, Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to choose Paul for this one for a couple of reasons, because he is so excited about this topic that he wants to share with everyone. And sometimes I probably share a lot of shit with people that don't care. They're just like, shut up. (laughs) But they love me anyways. And I love them. So, and Mm -hmm. the fact that he is so smart and he has all this information and he, he did these amazing things without going to school, which I fucking love because student debt is the devil. If you can do stuff without going to college, fucking do it. And I love that other scientists look to him for, you know, information and experiments and, and working together. And he just, I don't know. And he's an old man. Listen to Skrillex. I mean, sure, dude. You do you. Yeah. (laughs) He seems like a really amazing ambassador for this, right? Right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. I like that a lot. Okay. So, shall we talk about next week? What are we going to talk about next week? All right. So, we're going to do a documentary called Safety to Gnome. It is a 2019 release. It's on Amazon Prime. I did look that up, so I can confirm that you rent it there. Okay. And an hour and 26 minutes. And it's about the Iditarod, really. It's about an extreme race. And so a little bit sportsy. And I know you and I were both interested because we were like, why do people do this? Because it's cold and could be dark and miserable. (laughs) I must know more. I know. I mean, cute dogs only get me so far is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I will definitely make sure my dogs watch it to say, look, look at these dogs working in your jobs. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. worst i think that they would say to you that they comment on a pod and uh people like doggies so yeah well again free to get home (laughs) but they're bonded you have to take them together (laughs) oh that's fine Mm -hmm. yeah i'm excited to learn about it i'm always fascinated by the iditarod it's just such a weird thing to me that people do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i can't wait to learn more about it yeah it'll be good Mm mm-hmm Beyond that, we'll ask you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. Looking always for words and stars in those reviews so we can get out there a little bit more. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at GoDocYourself. We are really having a lot of fun. We as an I about posting about all the Easter stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this is coming out at Easter time. So mm-hmm. come and uh, comment and question and recommend and do all those things. Uh, we always appreciate to hear from people. So thank you. Yeah. And with that, we will talk to you next week, guys. All right. Thanks a lot. Later. Bye.